Full Scope, Human Longevity and Performance Podcast. We want you to become the most exceptional, high-performing version of yourself. And to facilitate this, we are giving away the Longevity Fundamentals Handbook absolutely free. This is a tremendous resource that will tell you the lifestyle behaviors and mindset that will lead to the best outcomes and longevity. To get this, go to our website, wondermedicine.com or fullscope.org, put in your email, and we will send you this amazing resource, the Longevity Fundamentals Handbook. Mercury is a chemical element with atomic number 80 on the periodic table. It's a heavy metal. It's the 67th most abundant element in the Earth's crust. And because of many unique chemical properties, it's found use in a number of different industrial applications. You can find mercury in a lot of laboratory equipment, things like thermometers, medical equipment, sphygmomanometers, and preservatives for vaccines, use in dentistry for amalgams, use in fluorescent light bulbs. Mercury was traditionally used in the production of chlorine. Gold and silver mining still use mercury in some parts of the world like Ghana today. And then, of course, when we burn coal, we spew out lots of mercury into the atmosphere, which then goes into our water, accumulates in organisms. We then eat it, and it accumulates in us. Mercury is everywhere these days. And unfortunately, this is one of those elements like lead that has no known physiological role in humans. Exposure to mercury can result in a number of different problems. Nerve damage, brain damage, problems with walking, hearing, seeing, other senses, skin rashes, kidney disease, and even breathing problems. Mercury is particularly detrimental to developing fetus and small children. When the brain is trying to grow and learn things, mercury will throw a tremendous wrench in that process. And mercury has lowered the IQ of thousands and probably millions of children throughout the world. Today on Full Scope, we're going to talk about mercury poisoning. We're going to talk about things that put people at risk for mercury poisoning, how to prevent mercury poisoning, how to diagnose mercury poisoning, what kind of symptoms you might see, and then finally, how you might treat mercury poisoning. And spoiler alert, avoiding it is by far and away the best treatment. We're also going to talk about how mercury can actually kill you. And then, of course, we're going to tell some stories. Because stories are what solidify memories, make subjects interesting, and are just fun. So, saddle up. This is Full Scope Mercury Poisoning. So, first off, why is mercury toxic? And the answer is because it has a strong affinity to sulfhydryl groups as well as phosphoryl carboxyl and amide groups. These amino acid side chains and and molecular side chains are present throughout cells 
all over our body. Mercury can bind to it and then basically prevent these organic chemical groups from performing their normal chemical physiology in the body. This leads to a profound disruption in normal cell physiology and can result in widespread dysfunction of enzymes, problems with transportation of uh, things throughout the body, membranes not being as stable as they should be, and even problems with structural proteins. And these can cause issues in organ systems throughout the body. Mercury loves sulfur and sulfhydryl groups, and for this reason, cinnabar, which is mercuric sulfide, is the most abundant store of mercury that can be mined in our Earth's crust. Like so many other chemical elements, mercury can be found in a number of different configurations. For simplicity, I'm going to break mercury chemical configurations into three main groups. There's essentially elemental mercury, mercury salts, and organomercury compounds. Let's start with elemental mercury. This is a very unique metal element in that it is a liquid at room temperature. You've probably seen it. It's a silvery liquid that's actually called quicksilver. And this is something that's often used in laboratory equipment like thermometers, although it's being displaced by things like ethanol today. But the issue with elemental mercury is that it can be inhaled. And when you inhale it, it can cause a profound respiratory illness, even progressing sometimes to acute respiratory distress syndrome and death. Elemental mercury is actually very poorly absorbed through the GI tract. Now, if you have gut pathology or if you have a huge ingestion, you're going to absorb some. But for the most part, the ingestion is actually fairly poor. It's really mostly a respiratory issue. If you're in the lab and you spill elemental mercury, the first thing you should do is move everyone away from the area and open the windows. Improve the ventilation so that the fumes do not build up to toxic amounts. Do not vacuum up the mercury. This will tend to just make it more aerosolized. But what you should do is pour sand all over it. Let the mercury dissolve into the sand and then sweep it into a sealed container. Put that sealed container into another sealed container and then discard it. This is a really important laboratory chaining that anybody that works around mercury should have. The next main type of mercury are mercuric salts. Basically, you have mercury combined with other elements like uh, chloride, for instance, or sulfur, for instance. One really common one is mercuric chloride, or HgCl2. Unlike elemental mercury, mercury salts are readily absorbed into the GI tract, and can also cause a lot of GI irritation. Interestingly, mercury was used as a medication for constipation because it kind of had irritant effects on the gut that would stimulate defecation. This was done for hundreds of years. Anyway, 
Mercury salts can be toxic to the gastrointestinal tract, and for this reason, people can have huge fluid shifts and become essentially almost septic appearing because they can get so dehydrated. And so fluid resuscitation can be really important for someone with a uh, large mercury salt ingestion. These mercury salts are poorly taken up by the central nervous system. So unless the exposure is extremely large or for a very prolonged amount of time, you're generally not going to see a lot of neurological symptoms. What you do see, though, is excretion via the kidneys and renal toxicity. Large ingestions of mercury salts can lead to oliguria, or uh, low urine output, anuria, or no urine output, and acute kidney injury. The gastrointestinal symptoms can also be, as we said, profound. You can get um, hematemesis or vomiting of blood, hematochesia or bright, bright red blood in the stool, diarrhea, oropharyngeal pain. Pretty much anything from mouth to anus can get really messed up with ingestion of mercuric salts. The final group of mercury compounds are organomercury compounds. And these can actually be subdivided into two groups. You have larger chain organomercury compounds. So these are mercury compounds that have uh, larger organic molecules attached to them. Say, for instance, a phenyl ring, if you're familiar with organic chemistry, or a longer chain fatty acid. And typically in the body, these are pretty readily cleaved and basically take on the toxicity profile of mercury salts. Now, short-chain organomercury compounds like methylmercury behave totally differently. These methylmercury bonds are stable and these are molecules that are less polar and therefore can do things like readily cross the placenta and readily cross the blood-brain barrier. And this can result in serious neurological symptoms Things like nerve damage, brain damage, problems with memory, problems with learning, problems with IQ, difficulties with coordination and walking, also known as ataxia, hearing, seeing, and other sensory problems. Methylmercury exposure over long periods of time can be detrimental to adults, but even small amounts can be detrimental to developing fetuses and young children that are trying to grow their nervous system. So we basically have three big groups of mercury types that cause unique toxicities and problems. Elemental mercury or quicksilver, which is a liquid. Mercury salts, which dissolve in water and are taken up by the GI tract and excreted by the kidneys and organomercury compounds that are also readily taken up by the gut and tend to cause mostly neurological symptoms as they easily cross the blood-brain barrier and the placenta. Everyone should note that elemental mercury salts and organomercury probably can be converted into different forms within the human body. For instance, Organomercury, after it enters the central nervous system, is oftentimes converted into mercury salts, 
which then polarizes it and kind of locks it into the CNS. And over time, as we look at like mercury in animals who have been exposed to organomercury, we see increasing amounts of mercuric salts in their brain. So there is some conversion that can go on, and at large doses there's probably a lot of conversion, so you can get a mix of, of all three of these types of toxidromes in, a, in an individual exposed to perhaps just one. Um, there's a lot to be said about that topic, but I just wanted you to know that this is maybe a little more fluid than the solid buckets of mercury poisoning. Morbidity and mortality. So how are these mercury compounds actually killing people, and how are they actually hurting people? Well, first I will say that not all mercury compounds are created equal, and in fact some types are extremely toxic. And a great example is the unfortunate situation of a Dartmouth chemist, Karen Wetterhahn. She was working with a compound called dimethyl mercury, which is known to be very toxic. She was doing all the right things. She was working in a fume hood. She was wearing latex gloves. And reportedly, she got a few drips of dimethyl mercury on her gloves. These gloves were thought to basically protect her skin. But within a year, she developed neurologic symptoms and died as a result of those few drops with got, which got on her gloves. Her colleagues at Dartmouth then underwent some study and found that the dimethylmercury readily went right through the latex gloves, and that was not even close to being protective. So, big lesson learned there, but... Um, Keep in mind, some mercuries like dimethylmercury can be very, very toxic. As we said with elemental mercury, people can inhale large amounts of it, and this can lead to basically profound respiratory distress, even acute respiratory distress syndrome, and death. For that risk of inhalation causing problems, um, OSHA actually sets the limits for inhaled mercury at 0.1 milligrams per cubic meter of air. And anything above that, they, any occupational setting is required to approve engineering controls such that there's more air movement and lower concentrations of mercury in the atmosphere. Mercury salts, on the other hand, are more likely to kill you by completely wrecking your gastrointestinal tract, causing severe dehydration, uh, shocky fluid loss and subsequent death. Kidney failure uh, or end-stage renal disease can also result a little bit later, which in some countries means death. I mean, not every country has uh, dialysis capabilities. The lethal dose of, of uh, mercury salts is thought to be 30 to 50 milligrams per kilogram of body weight. Methylmercury is by far the most common cause of mercury poisoning in the world right now. Basically, we burn coal, volcanoes erupt, we make cement and do several other industrial processes that result in mercury being expelled into the atmosphere. This mercury then accumulates into our water systems and is taken up by microorganisms like algae. Every organism that then eats that algae or those microorganisms takes on all that mercury that those microorganisms have absorbed. 
when those small fish or shellfish are eaten by bigger animals, those bigger animals take on their mercury load as well. And so basically you get levels of mercury which concentrate up the food chain. We refer to this process as bioaccumulation, and it's actually a really important concept because there are a lot of different toxins in our world that bioaccumulate. And as humans, as people that are kind of at the top of the food chain, intend to not only eat small uh, animals and plants, but also apex predators at times can be at very high risk for ingesting methylmercury, which tends to be the most common form of bioaccumulated mercury in our natural food, food webs and food chains. Now, at lower amounts, and particularly when exposure occurs during field development or early childhood, you can get loss of IQ points, you can get behavioral problems, you can get um, psychological issues like uh, depression and anxiety and a social phobia and just being kind of aloof. And so at, at those lower doses even, this can be a big problem for our pregnant women that are carrying children and for our, our small kids. And it's thought that in, in cultures like, for instance, the Faroe Islands, these, these are people that live in the North Atlantic and eat a lot of pilot whale, which is a toothed whale, which obviously is an apex apex predator with very high levels of mercury, um, we've been able to measure real neurological damage over many, many years that does not improve with time for, peop for, for children that are exposed to this mercury. And it's thought that in a lot of these fishing communities, as many as 17 per thousand kids could have measurable neurological deficits as a result. I would guess that that number is even higher. And like lead, there's really no safe limit for mercury exposure. At very high exposure to methylmercury, you can get a very severe neurological syndrome that can actually lead to death. And there's been a number of global catastrophes, in fact two in the last hundred years, that have resulted in just that. Many people with profound, long-standing neurological problems and many people who have died. Story time! Between 1932 and 1968, the Chiso Corporation in Japan was producing acid aldehyde using a mercury catalyst. This company was expelling wastewater from this chemical process into local rivers and streams, which then flowed into Minamata Bay. Now, there are a number of fishing communities within this bay, and the catching and eating of seafood was a big part of the economy. Unfortunately, this mercury started accumulating and moving up the food chain within the living organisms living in Minamata Bay. This resulted in extremely high concentrations of mercury in the seafood ingested by both the people as well as the animals living around Minamata Bay. This resulted in a catastrophe and a named disease called Minamata disease, which really consisted of profound 
neurologic deficits like memory problems, speech problems, thinking problems, peripheral neuropathies, problems with senses like vision and hearing and proprioception, just a lot of, of very profound neurological effects. And at very high levels, many individuals did ending up dying. In fact, around 1,800 people were thought to have died as a result of the Minamata ca catastrophe. Even the cats that were living in the community that were fed scraps from the table of things like fish and stuff developed this dancing cat disease where they would have very bizarre movements and act very strange and do weird things. Mercury at high concentrations is toxic to humans, and these types of events where you have a lot of mercury accumulation and, and high, high contents of methyl, methyl mercury can be devastating for a community, as was the case in Minamata, Japan, for shoot, 40, 50, multiple or plus years, and probably extending into today. Another unfortunate story regarding mercury occurred in 1971 in Iraq. Basically, 100,000 tons of grain were treated with methylmercury as a fungicide. The plan was to use this grain as seed, so to plant this grain in the field and have it grow more grain. Instead, the grain was baked into bread and then sold to people. This resulted in Similar neurologic deficits, as was seen in Minamata disease, hospitalizations of thousands and thousands of people, probably five to 10,000 people, and at least 400 deaths. So really serious incidents. When people get exposed to high amounts of mercury, it is bad. It is really bad. wanted to bring up a few other incidents. One is the origin of the term Mad Hatter's disease. In the 1800s, Danbury, Connecticut was, I guess, some kind of a mecca for hat makers. And there was a lot of hat making going on there. Unfortunately, furs had to be treated with mercuric nitrate in order to be made into felt, which was often used to make hats. This resulted in a lot of hat makers having neurological problems. Uh, these included the Danbury shakes, which was a tremor that they developed, mercurial salivation, which was a, a hyper um, salivary state, which resulted from mercury poisoning, as well as just being kooky and crazy. And that's where the term mad as a hatter comes from, because these poor hat makers were being poisoned with mercury as a result of their work. What's up, Full Scope listeners? If you are enjoying this content, if this content is bringing you value, please share it with your friends, loved ones, and everyone else. Post it online, on social media. Let your friends know. Have them subscribe. Put the word out there. That's all we really ask. And at the very least, give us a review and rate the podcast. Thanks so much. Let's get back to the show. Pew! As I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, mercury was used for hundreds of years as a constipation treatment because it's a gastrointestinal irritant and will get things moving as well as the walls of the intestine sloughing off. Another use of mercury in medicine was for the treatment of syphilis. 
Syphilis plagued humans for hundreds and hundreds of years, and it's still plaguing us today. And until the development of penicillin in the 1940s, we were using a lot of pretty toxic stuff to try and treat syphilis. And one of those things was mercury. Alright, so here's the good news. Unlike a lot of toxic chemicals which are hurting people, mercury has been broadly accepted as very detrimental to humans. And for that reason, people are working on phasing out the use of mercury across a number of different industries. To this end, in 2013, the Minamata Convention on Mercury was held in Geneva, Switzerland. It was attended by 140 countries and basically are making plans and and trying to execute plans of getting rid of as much mercury in our industrial processes as possible. So really good from that front. There are some step backs in the sense of fluorescent light bulbs are much more efficient but also contain about 4 milligrams of elemental mercury each. So we need to be really careful about our use of those light bulbs around the house and make sure we dispose of them properly. Please note that since 2001, thiomerosol, which is a mercury-containing preservative, was removed from all United States childhood vaccines. It is still present in childhood vaccines in other parts of the world. The dose is small and this is one of those types of mercury which is thought to be less toxic. However, um, it's no longer in our vaccines in the United States so people don't need to worry about the potential toxicity of, of mercury in our vaccines. Another issue that comes up regarding mercury are dental silver amalgams. These are used to fill cavities in teeth and they're actually silver dissolved into elemental mercury and I think just over 50% of those fillings are actually mercury. There is thought to be some concern by some groups that particularly if you have a lot of mercury fillings and if you grind your teeth there is a chance that you could get a significant toxic burden from those mercury amalgams. However, a lot of scientific communities have um, sort of thrown this idea out the door and said that we think that this is a low-level amount of mercury and it's not causing any problems. The bigger issue probably is the occupational exposures that dentists and dental hygienists have to endure as a result of the use. Because actually when you heat it up and place it, that's the time when you're going to be at risk for inhalation and other problems. And so in general, the Manamoda Convention is recommending kind of slowly phasing out mercury amalgams as a result of that and I would say probably just use a normal amalgam given the choice. The one benefit is that the silver ones do last a long time but since they're mostly mercury I think we need to go ahead and stop using those. In the early 1900s we used to give kids with ascariasis which is a uh, helminth or worm disease and teething discomfort mercury as well. This led to a skin disease called acrodynia in many uh, children, which was a painful, dusky, pink discoloration of the hands and feet. Another name for it was Pink's disease. And I'm glad we don't give kids that anymore for those, uh, for those indications. <laughs> All right, let's break into diagnosis. 
really the way that you diagnose mercury poisoning is the right history, the right exposures, and the right symptoms. Laboratory testing are just adjuncts, and because of the nature of mercury's distribution throughout the body, they don't really give you a good picture of how much mercury has been taken up over a long period of time in the body's total body burden of mercury. The way we test for organic mercury, like methylmercury, is with a whole blood mercury level. And in the conventional scientific world, it's thought that a level of less than one microgram per liter in the blood is thought to be less than, is thought to be what should be there with the normal background level. I'm sure if you talk to a naturopath, they're going to say, no, we need to be looking at more minute quantities and getting rid of that. Um, the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. But the more mercury we can get rid of, probably the better. Because mercury salts and elemental mercury are excreted in the urine, the best way to diagnose those mercury toxicities is with a 24-hour urine collection. Mercury levels in the urine of less than 0.5 micrograms per liter are thought to be normal. Because of the number of sulfur groups in hair, mercury really, really accumulates in hair. And so one way that you can try to approximate long-standing mercury exposure is by looking at people's hair and seeing how much mercury is in that. However, even mercury that touches the hair externally will bind to it. So sometimes it's not always a good marker of how much mercury actually came from the body versus how much came from the surrounding environment. In general, laboratory seems like a pretty limited, like it has pretty limited ability to diagnose mercury. And I would probably be using more the history and physical exam to make this diagnosis. Pew. Naturopathic doctors tend to look for heavy metals by what's called a chelation challenge. So they'll actually give somebody a dose of chelators and then collect their urine afterwards and see how much metal burden comes out. One typical protocol I've heard is using like 300 milligrams of dimercaptopropane sulfonate, DMPS, which is a common chelator, collecting the urine for six hours and seeing how much heavy metal comes out. This is a really controversial thing. Um, the conventional toxicology medical establishment always says this is not good. We don't know what to make of these numbers. We don't think these tests should be done. Naturopathic doctors who have been much more savvy and keen to this whole topic have been doing this for years and say that while it's not perfect, it is a good way to look at the body's burden of these toxic heavy metals. And so this is something that's interesting and something that I would probably do for people if they wanted it in, in clinical practice, but maybe not something that I'm doing as routinely as, say, a naturopath. All right, so finally, what do we actually do about mercury poisoning? Well, first and foremost, we prevent it from happening. And because of the profound effects that organomercury compounds can have on growing fetuses and growing children, it's recommended that women of childbearing age, pregnant women, and young children do not consume apex predator fish and whales. This includes things like shark, swordfish, king mackerel, tilefish, that's especially tilefish that's caught in the Gulf of Mexico, toothed whales like pilot whale meat, 
and even probably whale meat in general. On top of that, women of childbearing age and young children are recommended not to eat more than two servings of any type of fish per week. A serving is typically six ounces and women are told to and children are told to pick uh, low mercury containing seafood like shrimp, salmon, pollock, sardines, and scallops. If you fish at a local river or stream or lake, it's recommended that you check local advisories to look for any evidence of toxins or problems. Mercury is not the only problem that can accumulate in wildlife. Another known group of chemicals called PCBs tends to accumulate, and for that reason it's really important to know, is there a factory uh, you know, just upstream that's potentially dumping waste and could be accumulating the fish? So check on that kind of stuff, and if you can't find the information, it's recommended to limit um, eating, eating kind of unknown fish sources, not more than one serving one time per week. This is really sad. I mean, fish are a very healthy source of nutrients. They make uh, essential fatty acids like omega-3s that are absolutely fundamental for the development of children's brains. It's kind of interesting, and that's why we've had mixed studies about the consumption of seafood and in, in neurological development in children because of these important nutrients it can show some benefit if you're consuming low mercury but for groups like the Faroe Island people where the pilot whale was consumed that had huge amounts of mercury that caused a deficit overall the fact that we have to limit our amount of fish because we burn coal and that produces mercury toxin which accumulates in food chains throughout the world is just so sad and while humans can avoid these predatory fish and whales these predatory fish and whales cannot avoid their normal food and it's probably or almost certainly hurting their offspring in profound ways on top of all the other awful things we do to the ocean so really this, as much as a, of a human catastrophe as this is, it's really just as much or more of an environmental catastrophe and goes along with the theme of our environment is fundamental to our health and if we don't have a fun, uh, healthy environment, we ourselves are not going to be healthy. If mercury levels are high or if neurological symptoms are profound or, or you just sort of suspect an acute mercury toxicity there's a couple of things that you can do if you think there was an ingestion uh, mercury actually tends to bind fairly readily to charcoal in general heavy metals don't bind well to activated charcoal but mercury does so you can use activated charcoal whole bowel irrigation is also something that can be trialed as well as again chelation therapy Succimer is a oral chelation therapy agent. It seems to be the best in both um, elemental, inorganic, and organic mercury compounds. And a typical regimen might be 10 milligrams per kilogram three times a day for five days, followed by 10 milligrams per kilogram twice a day for 14 days. Other chelation agents like dimercaprol and DMPS can also be utilized. So, that's mercury, people. That's mercury poisoning. This is, again, a human environmental catastrophe that we can prevent and change. If not for us, then for the sake of our children...
Thank you so much for listening to the Full Scope Podcast and investing in your health. I'm Dr. Bill Randenberg. If you're enjoying the content, please rate, review, and share this content with all of your friends online and all your social media platforms. Please understand that this podcast is not intended to treat, diagnose, or cure your specific medical condition. This podcast does not create any type of doctor-patient relationship between myself, Dr. Brandenburg, and you, the listener. If you do need help with your life, with your health, with anything regarding your longevity or performance, please check out wondermedicine.com. Our longevity and performance program is the best in the world and is ready to help you right now, today, become the best possible individual you can be. Thanks. Bye-bye. Pew.